Hey everyone, and welcome back to Via the Podcast, where together we are exploring what it means to follow Jesus. I'm your host, Matt Winley, and in our last episode, I shared about my dad's passing and the tension that I felt between knowing the hope of the resurrection and faith in Christ, but also feeling the tremendous loss of missing my dad, that sometimes you feel like you have to have either one or the other. But then we took a a few minutes to look at scripture. We saw Jesus' example in particular in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, also when when Lazarus passed away, and we saw him deal with very real and very strong emotions, that those did not indicate a lack of faith on Jesus' part. They didn't indicate a lack of misunderstanding about who God was on Jesus' part. And so I think we can find some comfort in seeing Jesus deal with a, a whole realm of emotions that those things don't necessarily indicate a lack of faith or hope. Now, what we do with those, I think moving forward, is something we can discuss. But just because we feel tremendous pain, tremendous loss, tremendous burden, doesn't all of a sudden mean that we're losing faith or losing hope. And I, I think it's good to hold both the hope of the resurrection and the truth that we should rightfully proclaim to ourselves and the pain that we feel, we can hold both of those in tension. They don't have to be against each other. And I had the honor of sharing a eulogy for my dad. And what I wanted to do in this podcast, and I tried to do it a couple weeks ago, and just, it was hard to to go back and, and re, relive that eulogy in the short amount of time that I was trying to do it. And so that's why it's been another little bit of a pause between episodes. But I want to go back and spend a little bit more time on what I was able to briefly share there. Uh, God taught me so much through my dad. I I just look back through the years, and I'm very grateful for the father that I had. But in his last days, hearing how he impacted other people, reflecting on his life of faith and the journey that he took, and seeing his growth from the time I was a kid till now, he left me with, I think, one last lesson. And he lived as if Jesus mattered. Really, that's all it comes down to. He, he lived as if Jesus mattered. And in his last few days, there were a lot of people who texted and emailed and all of that. And I appreciated all the condolences and well wishes and praying for you. So those, those were all meaningful. And I enjoyed getting every one of them. But my favorite part, I think through the whole process, if you can say a favorite part when someone you love passes away has been hearing how people were impacted by my dad, how they how they were affected by the fact that my dad was in their life. Because I would get all these different emails and social media posts and texts, and over and over I heard the same themes. He was kind, he was patient, he was gentle, he was a listener, he was a lover of Jesus, he was genuine, he was a servant, humble, kingdom-minded, evangelist. Now, was he all those things all the time? No. Again, I think I said it in the last podcast episode, my dad was not perfect. He would never have claimed to be. But those were the characteristics that when people were trying to describe my dad and the impact that he had on their lives, those were the words they chose to use. And all of them are true. But as I began to think about what they're describing, it struck me as odd that people thought that they were so particularly exhibited by my dad. So the question that came to mind was, well, why do these characteristics stand out? Why is it so shocking that my dad was kind and patient and gentle? You know, following the words of Jesus, my dad loved God and he loved other people. He took the opportunities to share Jesus with people in word and deed. 
And the more that I thought about it, the more that I, because it really bothered me. Like, why, why do all these things seem so exceptional? And the more I thought about it, it became really clear. What people seem to describe is not just my dad, but what the Bible actually pictures as a follower of Jesus. Like you, you just read the description and you go, this is what it's supposed to look like when someone is truly following Jesus, as if Jesus really matters. And so in a sense, what my dad, what made my dad in so many people's minds exceptional should be normal within the church. Every time someone interacts with those who know Jesus, it's supposed to be a little taste of heaven, a taste of the new creation, someone empowered and equipped to love in the same way that Jesus did, selfish, selflessly, sacrificially. He lived as if Jesus mattered. I was pointed to a book by C.S. Lewis uh, as he was dealing with the grief of his wife. And in it, he talks about how you can't really tell what someone believes or or how someone is living until you until you begin to play with real money, so to speak. Because if you play cards, it doesn't matter uh, much about what, you, what you're doing or how good you are unless there's money on the line. Because that's when you truly see how someone plays. Because people will do anything if you're playing for tokens or, or monopoly money, so to speak. And I think that's an accurate description of my dad. He, he believed Jesus mattered. He wasn't playing with tokens. He wasn't playing with monopoly money. He believed that he was a steward of every moment, every thought, every conversation. And he wanted them, all those things, the, the, the words, the actions, the relationships, to highlight Jesus or imitate Jesus or make much of Jesus. So he stood out, not for the things that he didn't do, but for the things that he actually did, the way that Christ lived through him. Now, I say that what made my dad exceptional in people's eyes is really supposed to be an ordinary life for a believer. And I mean that. If you look at the book of Colossians, chapter 3, uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 17. And I just want you to listen, particularly when we get down to verses 12 through 17. And that list that I described about my dad being kind and patient and gentle, uh, a lover of Jesus, those kinds of things. And just hear how Paul describes the life of someone who's come in contact with Christ. Okay, so this is in Paul's letter. Um, to the, the people at Colossae. And the first four verses you're going to see, he's just, he, he's trying to get them to think about the implications for what he's talked about in, in the first two chapters earlier in the letter. So he's talked about how the importance of Christ and about being united with Christ. And so you're going to see he, he's making this argument that if you are in Christ, then you're going to look different than you were outside of Christ. So he's, that's what he's going to do in the first four verses. And then then he's going to expand on that in verses 5 through 11. He's going to talk about, okay, now that you're in Christ, here's things that we are no longer a part of. And then in verses 12 through 17, he's going to say, now here's things that we are a part of. So you see the division and how it works. But this is Colossians 3, 1 through 17. We're not going to spend terribly long on it, but I just want you to see that as we reflect on, or as I reflected on, my dad's passing and, and what people were saying it just, it, it means a lot to me that we should live like this, that as believers, we're not playing with tokens or monopoly money, but that the way that people, the things that people saw in my dad and the things that Paul are describing are supposed to be normative for New Testament Christianity, for people who love Christ and are following after him. And I just want us to pray and reflect on, well, why, why, why does it seem so exceptional when one person is living that way? 
What is it that we are missing? Or are we living in some kind of disobedience because we're, we're not living that way? Uh, when it talks about, when we talk about equipping each other to follow Jesus, um, this is a challenge for me and for so many people out there who would say that we're believers, but our lives don't look that much different than if we didn't have Jesus in them. So listen to the impact that Jesus makes. This is Colossians 3, 1 to 17. I'm reading from the ESV if you happen to have your Bible with you. He writes, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So again, you see this this passage breaks up very neatly. Verses 1 through 4, verses 5 through 11, verses 12 through 17. You see very dis- three distinct sections. And verses 1 through 4, just it talks about newness of life in Christ. You're, you're raised with Christ, so seek restored and renewed things. This is who you are, so live like it. Um, he's saying you're, you're, you're no longer in a position where you should be living these ways. You're in a position where you should be putting your mind on the things that Christ would have you put your mind on. And he gets really practical after he states this, but he wants you to understand, first off, that you're not doing this in order to earn God's love. You're not doing this in order to, to win God's affection and you know, storm your way into the kingdom. He's saying, you, if you have trusted in Christ, if, if you are in Christ and you're a part of his kingdom, then live like it. So if I, um, as, as a Winley, I have certain expectations for my children, um, and, and they come from my dad. And one of them in particular is if you're going to be on time, 15 minutes early is on time. <laughs> so we, we get, we get ev- everywhere early. And for most people, I think in our culture, we've become more of like a right on time or maybe a little bit late. You know, we're, we're no longer this get there super early culture, but that's just something that was ingrained in me from the very beginning. And so we'll show up for practices. We're into sports and we'll show up to practices and no one else is there. Hardly any Anytime we're always there, one of the first ones, and it, and it cracks my kids up because I just can't help it. Like that's just part of who we are. But you know that's that's who we are as a Winley. We live like that, right? 
And he's saying that when you are in Christ, you're about the things that Christ is about. When you are in Christ, you think about the things that he would think about. You do the things that he would do. You love people the way that he would love people. You care the way he would care. You serve the way we, the way that he would serve. There's a new life in Christ, not just in the sense that you have a new life once you die, but it, it's a new life now. And so that's really important. I mean, you, you look at the overall structure of the text from verse 1 to 17, and you see this difference. Uh, earlier, it says, put to death, uh, put away, put off. And then you get to verse 12 through 17, it says, put on. So you can see a very distinct shift. You're putting to death, you're putting away, you're putting off those old things, you're putting on new ones. They're clearly different ways of living. So we work out in practice what is already true. And we have both, I think, uh, private moral righteousness, which most people would think about when it comes to Christianity. This is, you know, we, we want to be holy. And so we think about just maybe our thought life or we think about just what we, who we are just as an individual. But then you also have all these active practices, which we'll get to in verses 12 through 17, that can only be done within a community. So following after Jesus is not something that's meant to be done behind four walls away from everyone else. Yes, who we are in private matters, and and that is important, but we cannot solely be in private, that we're meant to live in community and demonstrate Christ's love within that community. Um, and it, it, it's, both, it's both a warning to avoid certain things in, in, in verses 5 through 11, and a charge to go and live a certain way in verses 12 through 17. It, it takes you back, if we might do a podcast on this later on, but Colossians 1 verses 28 and 29 is uh, quickly becoming one of my favorite pair of verses. And it, it's basically describing discipleship. And I just want to read it for you real quick, and you'll kind of understand this idea of warning people away from certain things, but then teaching them to go in, in another direction. Not just warning them away from something and then leading them to another dead end, but you're warning them away from something and you're leading them into life. Leading them into, here's how we love other people well. Here's how we uh, represent Jesus well. So this is Colossians 1, 28, 29. This is something that was important to Paul. He says, him we proclaim, and if you go back and you look at the verses, it's very obvious that it's Jesus that we proclaim. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I love that phrase. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So, like I said, we can do a podcast on that later on, but I just want you to pay attention to that phrase, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. You see that in verses 5 through 11. He's warning everyone, don't go this way. This is this is the way that you were going before. It leads to death and dehumanization and hurt. it leads to a very hurtful community when people are living this way. But you're also supposed to not just warn everyone from going a particular direction because then they can go any other direction that, that might not be good either. But you're also supposed to teach everyone. So that's what 12 through 17 is doing. It's teaching people. You're not just going, you're not just stopping going that direction, but here's the direction that we should be going. Here's the way that we follow after Jesus well. Here's how we represent him well. So that's that's kind of the overall idea of the text there. So then you get to verses 5 through 11 of Colossians 3. And I just want you to just, we're not going to look at each of these things individually. Like I said, the point is not to give you an hour-long dissection of this passage. But just look at verses 5 through 11 and picture the type of community that would derive out of a group of people practicing all these things. These would hurt people. This would be a very damaging community. This would be a very, I think, you would be scared to be yourself in that community. You would 
you would hesitate to be anyone's friend in that community, right? Like you, there's, there's so much in there. That's not just, well, I'm, I'm not a, again, we, we, we think of righteousness and holiness in these individual terms, but you see in verses five through 11, how damaging it would be to a, to a group of people if we're living this way. Um, so each one of these things that, that Paul's mentioning is not it's not just Paul just trying to go, you need to be the best individual that you can be, but he's concerned with the, the New Testament body of Christ, the church. He wants the church to be living in such a way that their community is representing Christ and makes people wonder outside of the church, why does their community look different? What 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 has gotten a hold of them that makes them live the way that they do? Um, but I, I would love to be in a community where those those things are absent. Uh, I don't, I, you know, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, we don't need it, right? Don't lie to one another, um, you know. And, and then verse 11 is really what nails it for me. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. All the labels that we try to put on each other, they start to disappear. All, all the ways that we try to separate each other, all the ways that we try to pit each other against one another, all the, all the ways that we try to harm each other by the things that we say, those don't matter in Christ. That my neighbor who's from a different country, I love them just the same as someone who's from here. That my neighbor who speaks a different language, I love them just the same as, someone's from, as from someone who's from here. My neighbor who's from a different political affiliation, I love them just the same as someone who is from my same one. You know, we we stop following the way of the world and we stop trying to judge people by the labels that everyone else has thrown upon them and we love them based on what Christ has done for us. And so there's not Greek and Jew, there's not circumcised and uncircumcised, there's not barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. In the first century, this is what was so revolutionary. One of the things that was so revolutionary about the New Testament church, if someone were to go into a gathering, you would see Greek, You'd see Jew, you'd see circumcised, you'd see uncircumcised, you'd see barbarians, you'd see Scythians, you'd see uh, uh, slaves, you'd see free people, you'd see all these different walks of life, uh, higher socioeconomic ranks, lower socioeconomic ranks. You'd see them all together in a meeting, loving each other, serving one another, sometimes even the the inverse of the way that society would have typically thought, where you have someone of, of high estate serving someone of low estate. And it would have blown people's minds in the first century because all these people, they did not eat together. They did not get together. They did not hang out together. They did not spend time together. Everything was separate. And so for us, I think, because we're part of a little bit of a melting pot, we don't quite understand this distinction. But verse 11 was truly revolutionary in their time, that that all these things were being stripped away and that I could worship alongside someone that I was completely different from. And, And we have our own problems with that in our day and age. Absolutely. Um, and, and God needs to reform his church in that, in that regard. But man, it was rough in the first century when it came to the distinctions between cultures and the, the followers of Christ were called to begin to break through those barriers and we're supposed to as well. But I love that. And, and that was part of what people would talk about my dad. Uh, when we, when we would go to Brazil, I mean, if you, if you were, if you know me, and you, were, and you were to see all the social media Facebook posts, like half of them were from Brazil because they were people who my dad loved uh, in Brazil through language barriers and through culture barriers. 
and demonstrated the fact that the, the body of Christ doesn't have a particular language. The body of Christ doesn't have a particular skin tone. The body of Christ doesn't have uh, a particular uh, way of doing things uh, in, in the sense of like the, the cultural, the way, the way that culture tries to shape us. But the body of Christ has, has all of us in it. And my dad demonstrated verse 11, and that's why you see so many people from different ethnicities loving and pouring out their affection upon my dad when he passed away, because they could see Christ within him in that regard. All right, moving on. Uh, verses 12 through 17, because I, I want to, I just want to focus on this more, and, and then we'll close. When we think about the way that most people describe Christianity, or or take that back. I want you to think about if someone were to ask you, how are you doing as a believer? 99% of the time, the way that you would answer that question would be, well, I'm not doing these things. So uh, I'm not, you know, committing adultery. I, I, I've been better with lying. You know, we think about all the things that we've avoided. So we typically go to a, a list like in verses 5 through 11. I haven't done those things, so I'm being a good Christian, right? But what we don't think about, however, is the positive commands that God has given us, verses 12 through 17. We, we, we tend to only think about how we've avoided sin, but not lived in righteousness. So that's why I think verses 12 through 17 are so important. And that's why I think sometimes people, when they were describing my dad and I was giving his eulogy, it really bothered me because people saw the, the active way that he was living out his faith and that has become exceptional in a culture that's only looking at trying to avoid the negative i'm trying to avoid the the big sins that everyone sees instead of living in righteousness and demonstrating christ's love and care to people uh, at large in our community in our families in our neighborhoods and so when it comes to thinking about our faith when it comes to trying to discern, okay, God, you know, am I, am I walking, am I walking in your footsteps? Am I following after you? Well, we don't want to just go, well, I'm not doing verses seven through 11. So I'm good. We want to look at verses 12 through 17 and say, God, are you empowering me to do all these things? And am I following you in that? So verses 12 through 17, I just think it's a fantastic list. Um, it's not just focused on what we don't do, but what God does in and through us. Um, and notice that these again are relational. So Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. How on earth are we supposed to have a compassionate heart unless we are around other people who we need to be compassionate toward, right? These are absolutely relational. We do all of these in a community. Uh, we're kind, not just to myself, but to other people. We're humble, we're meek, we're patient, we're bearing with one another. Obviously, there's a one another there, so that's around other people. Uh, we're forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven us. We're putting on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I just, I can't overemphasize this, guys. Like, it's it's a community. We're, we're meant to live out our faith in the context of community. Doing all of these things where people can see them, not so they can point to us and go, look at how righteous and holy they are, but so that, that they can look at us and see the Savior and go, I want to be a part of something like that. I want to know the person that they know that has changed their life. I want to, I want to know the Savior who has come in and transformed them because I knew, I, I knew them when they were living the way of 5 through 11, but now they're living 12 through 17. So how? How is it possible that the person who used to look like that now looks like this? 
It's, it's just amazing. I, I love verses 12 through 17. What an amazing community this would be where one, a community full of compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience, uh, bearing with one another. I mean, how many times do we hold a grudge and we hold it for months and years, particularly within families? How much unforgiveness, like, how much bitterness and you know unforgiveness is there within families that are separated for years upon years upon years without just simply coming to each other and forgiving each other, uh, restoring and reconciling people who have hurt you and and walking together anew. And it doesn't mean that we're, when, when I say forgiving each other, it doesn't mean giving, uh, giving someone a, a, an opportunity to hurt you um, in the, in the sense of we're, we're going to go back into a dangerous situation. When, when we forgive someone, we're removing the burden off of our own hearts that, that we're, we're holding a grudge and we're holding bitterness. And, and oftentimes you hear the phrase, you know, they're a pain in my neck, you know, the pain's in, in, in your neck. It's not in theirs, right? So you're, you're holding on to this and it's, it's causing you to live embittered and God wants us to, to forgive. And, and sometimes when we forgive, there's an opportunity for reconciliation, restoration, and, and an opportunity to walk in newness of that relationship. And then there's sometimes where someone is so hurtful that it's going to take a long time. But we're called to forgive. And that's a hard call. And I, and I wrestle with it, and you have to wrestle with it, and each individual circumstance is different. But we also can't just, you know, we also just can't push it aside. We have to wrestle with, well, what, is it, what does it mean to forgive? And bear with one, and bear with someone who has hurt me or wronged me in some way. Um, but this community, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. I, I want I want peace to rule in my community. I want a community that's thankful. Verse fifteen, uh, verse sixteen. The, the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That people had mentioned my dad's um, heart for scripture. That's supposed to be something that describes an everyday ordinary believer. Again, it's not supposed to be extraordinary teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The, the community is so vibrant that we're literally just singing. You know, I, I'm not one that really enjoys musicals, but I can I can imagine being a part of such a community where you just feel free enough to just be yourself and, and you know, you're singing and you're teaching one another and you're happy. Like singing typically demonstrates some level of peace, some level of happiness. And sometimes we sing in order to, to relieve hurt or pain. But most of the time when you see people singing, there's celebration or joy or you're, you're, you're experiencing f- feelings that are, are enabling you to be happy. Like you're not, you're not in pain and, you're not, and go to sing. Typically, it's, it's something where you're, you're enjoying yourself. Um, and again, verse 16, thankfulness again. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That is a, a beautiful demonstration of community. And when it comes down to it, I want to see that 12 through 17 community. And I think that's what was so distinct about my dad's life, that he demonstrated so many of those attributes. And they're not attributes of my dad. They're attributes of Christ, that Christ has worked in my dad. That as my dad realized the the need for Christ in his life, and as he was in the word, and as he prayed, and as he submitted himself to, to Jesus, Jesus changed his life. Jesus helped him to see people in a different way. Jesus helped him to love people in a different way. Jesus helped him to serve people in a different way. Again, he's made mistakes. He made mistakes up until the day that he died, probably. But he was quick to ask for forgiveness. 
Uh, he kept short accounts with God, and you could tell the change that God was making in his life. Brothers and sisters, we are we are charged with modeling and discipling um, this this communal righteousness for new believers. When when someone comes to Christ, we don't just say now you got to stop doing all the bad things. We also point to here's here's the way a body of Christ is supposed to look. Here's the way a follower of Jesus imitates his Messiah, his Savior. And isn't it beautiful? Um, I, and, and as we walk alongside one, in gra- as, as we walk alongside someone in grace and truth, we're helping them um, find opportunities to stretch themselves and show the kindness and humility and meekness and patience, etc. Um, so, I don't know, I just find it compelling. And what I want to see in my life and what I want to see in the church, when I want to say church, I mean the whole body of Christ worldwide, is that no longer are these things exceptional. That when when when, when someone encounters a, a brother in Christ, and even before they know that they're a Christian, if they see these things being demonstrated, that they can go, you know what, it's 99% possible that this person knows Jesus because of the way that they're living. I can I can see it in them. I can hear it in the way that they speak. I can I can almost see it in their eyes. I can see it in the way that they love their neighbor. I can see it in the way that they love their spouse and, and, and love their children. I can see it in the way they serve. That's I, that's going to be the biggest witness and testimony to an unbelieving world. Uh, what what we do on on an individual and then on a on a community wide level as we live this out is way more important than any political battle that the church could ever win. The, the, the church is not about just winning political battles. The church is not about just winning arguments, but the church is about demonstrating the life of Christ day in and day out through the ordinary circumstances of life so that when we are in front of people, even unbelievers could point out and say, man, they were kind. Man, they were meek and patient. I can't believe how peaceful they were. I can't believe how forgiving they were. They, they loved they loved the Lord. Um, and I think it, I think it will make a bigger impact than like I said, any any kind of political victory, any kind of you know argument that we win, those, those are the things that change people's lives. So I appreciate you listening. Uh, thanks for kind of listening to me as I wrestle with the loss of my dad and and what it meant for for me to give that eulogy and to talk about what I think people found so fascinating. I hope Colossians 3 makes sense to you because to me it's it's revolutionary when we begin to understand how different our lives are supposed to look, that we're not just supposed to avoid things, but we're supposed to actively live out our faith. And I pray that wherever you are, whether it's someone who is just now following Christ or someone who's been following Christ for a long time, that you'll know that you don't have to try to become perfect overnight. It's, it's not your job to all of a sudden make yourself better. But we take step by step. We, we follow Jesus in, in the little things, and, and those things make a huge difference in the long run. And so wherever you are today, just yield to him. Um, he's going to give you opportunities to practice kindness, to practice compassion, to, to practice all these different things. And I would just say, take each step, one at a time. When you have free time and, and God leads you to, to open up his word instead of maybe turning on Netflix, open up his word, right? Uh, when God leads you to pray for someone, pray for someone. Exercise the spiritual muscles that God is laying on your heart. When the Spirit speaks, follow in obedience.
Um, appreciate you all. Love you all. If you have any questions for me, thoughts, concerns, email me at podcastvia at gmail.com. Uh, appreciate you sharing. I uh, appreciate you listening, and I'll see you next time.